Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Inspired Fire podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host. Today we have Lucinda Cross from Activate Your Vision joining the show. She's here to discuss her inspirational story. Her story is one of triumph and overcoming odds. From her mistake as a teen which led to her spending time in prison to now using her message to inspire thousands. We go over what she's doing today to empower women, youth, and people of color. She also shares the power of her vision board and tips for entrepreneurship. I think this episode is very important and Lucinda is the perfect guest to have this discussion with. She has seen issues like the lack of financial literacy in lower income communities or the lack of resources for less privileged groups of people. This makes the idea of financial independence seem unachievable or at the very least a very hard uphill climb. And although I don't pretend this episode will solve these issues, I do think it's a step in the right direction to discuss them and hopefully inspire people to take action for themselves and for their community. So I hope you enjoy this discussion with Lucinda and it inspires you to be the change you want to see in the world. Here's the episode. Hey, Lucinda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Listen, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I think you have so much to offer uh, my community, my audience, and and a lot of people in the world. You're doing some amazing things. And I wanted to try to touch on a few things, just your background, basically, to give us an idea of how you got here, what shaped your values, and you know what, what basically influenced you from your past that is now shaping your, your values and your mission today. Well, one is, you know, I was, you know, brought up around some very strong and positive women that had, have an amazing uh, stepfather who also raised me. He's my dad. I don't even like to call him step, but, you know, just around being around such strong women, there was a path that they set for all of the, the children in the family, especially the women. Go to school, get a great education, do your best. <laughs> um don't get pregnant, (laughs) (laughs) go to college, uh, you know, get a husband and retire. Right. And so that Mm -hmm. kind of the the course that they wanted to chart and me being, I would say the black sheep of the family and the one saying, this is not what I want to do because none of you look happy. Um, I took a different route and I took a different route because one, my mother, I watched how she struggled to maintain the family. Although it was a two parent household, it operated like a one parent household, especially financially. And my mother's uh, view around money was, you know, no need to save it because you can't take it when you die. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wanted to see life beyond the struggle. And I wanted to enjoy um, just life beyond what I seen within my own family. But I did take a different route and made some mistakes that helped to create the woman that you see today, but it landed me in some unfortunate places. Um, so that's just a little bit of me <laughs> opening up. But, you know, you told me, Chris, where you want us to go with this. Um, yeah, no, um, you mentioned some some things that affected you, maybe some mistakes that you made. Uh, you know, if you're open to that, I think th- that's the best way to learn is to just 
see what we did wrong in the past and including anybody. Um, so if you're willing to share, you know, as much as you are, I, mm-hmm. I'd be okay to, to hearing that. Hopefully it can make an impact on somebody who's listening. Absolutely. So, you know, I did follow the course, go to college, you know, don't get pregnant um, and try to make a live a lifestyle um, out of it. But for me, I'm the oldest of four, the only girl. I was frustrated with watching my mother struggle, frustrated with my father trying to find a solid job and just frustrated with having to ask for every little thing. And so um, working part time, trying to make ends meet for college and feeling kind of displaced because the college that I went to, there were, weren't people who looked like me, you know, it wasn't too many melanated <laughs> people <laughs> there, you know, not too many brown faces there. And so I felt out of place one because of that, but two, the financial bracket was an extreme stretch. So here I am coming from New York city, public housing, AKA the projects. And these girls are driving to school. They have daddy's credit card. They are buying their books. I'm photocopying pages in the library of my books because I wasn't in a position to pay three, four hundred, five hundred dollars for a, a, a math book or a psychology book. So I'm photocopying pages. And, um, you know, so I just felt kind of out of place. And this is not for me, even though it was a shift mentally and a new atmosphere for growth, because I lacked what looked like what other children had. And I didn't have that experience because in you growing up in the projects and it's a community, it's a tribe. Everybody pretty much has the same setting. And so being exposed to more, you know, I said, listen, I need to, you know, get some money. And in that, you know, I said yes to an opportunity to take, uh, you know, a, a quick trip to, you know, get some money, not realizing that that would be, my last year in college because I was going to spend the next four and a half years in federal prison um, for that. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the difference. I, I, I saw just the side bit, but I did see a documentary on HBO about this where in the projects in Manhattan, I believe there's a school called Journeys. Issues that we're seeing is, is that the cards are stacked against a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And even when they're given the opportunity, it's not really the same opportunity because there's mm-hmm. a lot in the environment mm-hmm. that affects the way we grow up or the way that, you know, we decide on. Like, for example, when your mom said, you know, she'd rather spend it than take it to the grave. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a mentality a lot of people have if they don't necessarily understand that, hey, you can kind of do a balance of both. But when you're living in a certain environment, maybe uh, mm-hmm. It's a private school where it's very expensive. I I would say fifty thousand dollars a year, maybe maybe forty five. Um, but right across the street, there's housing projects, and uh, this disparity is mm-hmm. is just shocking. So I think that you touch on a good point, which is tomorrow isn't promised yeah. as much as others. So yeah. you would say, hey, let me just spend this now. I don't know if I'm going to be around in a year, five years, or ten years, etc. And the other thing is, is that it's so even within the education system, because we I fell under a financial bracket that I guess the school had to fill. Right. That's also another another topic for another day, I guess. But mm-hmm. they said yes, so that they can, I guess, fill the quota of low income students who were accepted to the college. But 
were we were I wasn't, and I spoke to other students who were there provided with the resources to excel. So yeah, I'm coming from low income. Do I have a computer? Did they know that I didn't have a typewriter at that time or or access to, you know, resources? No. Did they help with school books that I would need, whether it was used or some that set aside for economically disadvantaged children? No. Was there uh, any talks about transportation meals just to have the full college experience for those students? So they said yes to me and, and several other students, but providing us the resources to succeed. And that's no excuse, right? I'm not making an excuse for the decision that I made, but just thinking back at it, um, what, how, how certain, like bringing up journey that, you know, the, the school that's right across the street from the projects, you know, how you are set up for success, but to a certain level, you know, so yes, you can get in, but can you afford to continue education here is another thing. And so I left there, I would say I attended, you know, one, two semesters with, and now had over $30,000 worth of debt. So I just want to get back to real quick. You said you spent the four, the next four years mm-hmm. um, in prison. So what changed? How did you come out? What what was your mentality after after you did that time, or or even while you were in there? So while I was in there, I started to. And my mother was a double psychology major, um, and a sidebar working at a job that she really hated and didn't even actually utilize her psychology degree, but it took an advantage for me and my brothers because we were able to use some of that mindset work at, at a young age. But I started using those things, uh, creative visualization, which is known as vision boards now, um, planning, centering energy. What does the future look like? Who are you going to become? And so I did a lot of self-work inside. And one of my main goals was to go back to school because I realized that education was a key to help me remove the number from Uh, my name and really embrace Lucinda Cross. And who is she? You know, I wanted her to be a college graduate. I wanted her to be someone who was successful in corporate America. I wanted her to be someone who raised an amazing family, who went against the odds and believed in investing instead of consuming, which I was raised up in, in a consuming mindset. And so I set the, you know, I started doing the self work inside, carried it outside and was kind of on a track to prove to myself and society that I belong here because, you know, upon being home and transitioning back into what we call the free world at that time, mind you, this is, I mean, I was 18, 19 at the time, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now. So, um, you know, coming out, it was, okay, you can't, you know, you you're not allowed to get a good job because you have a record. You're not allowed to get Pell or financial aid because you have a record. You're not allowed to uh, live in the income, low income housing um, or because you have a record. So it was just pretty much your statistic and, you know, try to make it work for you. No real rehabilitation um, in the transition. And I had to do that myself. I didn't want the pity party. I didn't want to use prison as an excuse or age or my mistake. And I did just that. I wanted to prove to my mother as well that, you know, I can become something that she's proud of. Um, so before even venturing into my the business, you know, I started working in, you know, corporate America and 
graduated from college with a marketing and business degree and, you know, just started working on my life on being a good citizen versus being looked at as uh, an ex-con. Mm-hmm. And and you're a success story, Lucinda. So um, I think, you know, looking back, it all worked out. And I'm not sure how much you attribute, you know, the mistakes and what you had to go through to kind of mm-hmm. realign and, you know, the things that you worked on, um, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just saying, at least you took that scenario and uh, mm-hmm. made the best you could with it. And, and that's what it's all about. Uh, so now I believe you are giving it forward, paying it forward in a sense where you're empowering women, the youth, people of color as well, right? Yes. Yes. Um, talk to me about that. What what goes into that? Do you, you know, do you see yourself in these, um, the people that you're helping? Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's about relating and meeting people where they are, you know, and so I never wanted to get too high on my horse of reaching small successes that I would forget that at-risk youth, um, women's empowerment is important and encouraging them to do more um, beyond what they can see from their circumstances. And it's it's a passion project. Uh, and it's something that I was able to turn into a, a, a thriving nonprofit at this point and partnering up with Delta, not realizing that they also wanted to serve disadvantaged, at-risk youth um, and, and uh, minority communities um, underserved communities. And so it just, it, it just gels well. And so I wanted to be able to bring the work that I was doing for my for-profit to the nonprofit. So I know that many of these youth, they may not attend a workshop or a conference or a brunch, so to speak, where your ticket prices are 75 to a hundred dollars. And so I wanted to find a way to still empower them um, for free using corporate sponsorship larger brands and influencers in some of my celebrity network to bring them the same content as well. And it's, it's fulfilling. I'll tell you that Chris It's fulfilling. Yes. It's, it's great to go take a check from my for-profit and bring it straight to chase. Um, but it's also <laughs> fulfilling when you're seeing these young kids who are coming from foster care or these women who are single moms and recently divorced and not knowing what to do and being able to, you know, provide them with, small business um, skill sets and helping them become entrepreneurs and, and seeing how they're able to use their creativity without mm-hmm. people asking about their backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It is fulfilling and um, it goes back to, you can accumulate as much money as you want, uh, but sometimes what really satisfies you or fulfills you the most and what you leave behind is the difference that you make in your community and in others. I think that that's uh, 100% correct. I would love the idea for financial independence uh, to be available to everybody. I would love to see a world that we can, anybody can, if they choose to achieve financial independence, what do you think we can do maybe on an individual level or, mm-hmm. or a larger level to, to make that a reality? Do you, do you, or do you think that is a, already a reality? What do you think? You know... Unfortunately, I don't think it's it's something that is provided um, now. And I do think it's something that we have to create. And there's it, it's going to take a lot of work. And I think one of the first steps is collaboration when it comes to ownership. You know, and I mm-hmm. think a lack of ownership puts uh, minorities, you know, um, 
black, brown, yellow, you know, our uh, melanated uh, community at a disadvantage because there's no ownership. It's more consuming versus investing. So we're not pushed with investments. You know, it's, 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 I think it's very far and uh, the reach is, is so, so far out that it's not something that is constantly drilled in our communities. You know, financial literacy is not taught in our schools. Um, Financial literacy is not something that's even brought to the tables at, at times. And so, you know, I think, you know, learning about balancing, checking, saving, ownership, real estate, investments um, is more important than algebra or trick, you know, or, you know, some kids don't even realize the value of the money that they have, the clothes that they wear. And so when you have one part of America throwing buy, buy, buy in your face, and then you have the other side who is learning invest, invest, invest so that they can buy, buy, buy. I think it's kind of set up in a way that what is being projected and, and, and serve to our communities need to change. And it starts with us, you know, um, educating each other, educating our communities, but getting more into ownership. The more we're able to own, the more we're able to dominate and even control the finances within our community. Without that ownership, we'll constantly be, I feel, on the other end, um, unaware, ignorant to some of the uh, opportunities that are available and not privy to some of the access um, and the conversations that are being had when it comes to what our communities need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some of the liquor stores, right, from the community, that's just not something that is just, um, I don't think that just is just happenstance. You know, remove some of, you know, where, I'm, where I live, they're, they're called package stores and you find them, you know, they're pretty far and out. You know, it's not like one here, liquor store, church, liquor store, church. And so, they're controlling liquor store, church, food, you know, clothing and, and fast food versus, you know, the healthy things all across the board. Um, so removing uh, that comes again with ownership, removing some of the, the things that don't serve our communities and what they're exposed to and adding more um, m- more more resources that we need access to. You know, I'm trying to yeah. be gentle with this conversation because it's so um it, it, it's it's deep and it's disheartening mm-hmm. at the same time. And we need to see immediate change. That's that's what's scary. I completely agree. And I think it's true what you're saying. It's, it's tough. It's a difficult conversation, but I think it's one that should be had because we need to understand what's going on and how long it's been going on to make that difference. And I'm going to get into what ways you've uh, come up with and innovated to get that the person in uh, a seat at the table, that's what Mm -hmm. you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but getting back to it, yes, I think you're right. There have been um, food deserts as they call them, where, you know, there isn't anything uh, available as other than just liquor stores or or things Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm -hmm. making that difference at a community level and and giving the resources there will be a a fantastic start. That comes with just representation, right? People uh, in, in, uh, higher positions, um, making decisions that can affect larger, yes. you know, consequences. Yes, that that's exactly it right there. Because representation. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I want to get into that because that's a perfect transition into entrepreneurship. That's what you went ahead and did, right? Mm-hmm. And that led to where you are today. So how do you 
what limitations do you maybe see that people are setting for themselves? Or how do you think that somebody can really say, hey, I can do this. I can be an entrepreneur. Right. I mean, it's one, we have to surround ourselves around other entrepreneurs. And then I want more entrepreneurs to be open on how they started and mistakes that they've made, you know, and, uh, you know, some of these things are not discussed. So you can easily look online and, and see people succeeding and thriving, you know, you're like, oh, they're Insta famous, you know, but there's hard work that's being done on the back end. And sometimes it's just a facade, but anyone can become an entrepreneur. When you look at something that you're passionate about, that you love to do, you know, from the smallest thing, I think a lot of people uh, count themselves out when it comes to entrepreneurship, ownership, small business, you know, turning their ideas into income um, because they don't, they feel like, oh, this is already out. You know, someone is already doing this and and that shouldn't stop you. You know, if anything, that should motivate you to add your secret sauce, your secret spice to it and do it. How many times during the holidays do you go inside of the supermarket and you see different sweet potato pies, right? And there's a different <laughs> name brand. I mean, ShopRite has a sweet potato pie and Auntie Winnie's <laughs> has a sweet potato, you know, so it doesn't stop anybody. But every, when we think about, the value that we bring to the table as human beings, knowing that each of us has a small portion of the world to change, whether it's your skill set is communication, there's a business made out of that. You know, I, I recently looked online and I seen that this business of hugging before the pandemic happened was like a thriving business. Like these people just, just like how you hire a therapist, they just go out and give people hugs and they get paid to <laughs> hug and cuddle. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, are you serious? But it, it was a thriving business, a multi-million dollar business where just like how Uber is running, it, you know, you get the app and it's like, this person is looking for someone to hug and snuggle with. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I think we overthink the things that we can turn our ideas, our passions and our hobbies uh, and our, even our side hustles into a, a business and, you know, t- utilizing some of these free resources from the Small Business Administration. SCORE is also a great place to go when you're looking for mentorship. That, that's retired executives, uh, CEOs, CFOs from the top of their skills. Some have worked as presidents for JP Morgan. Some has worked for, behind hedge funds. And so SCORE is a great nonprofit resource to get mentorship on how to get started. SBA will help you with figuring out, you know, how to get registered in your state, in your city, in your county. And just believe it or not, taking the smallest idea can become something major when you're providing a need. And I think many of us just count ourselves out, you know, from the process, but the things that you think about that are making millions and millions of dollars and changing lives and generations are the simplest things ever. You know, mm-hmm. so um, there's millions of candles, you know, everyone, Bath and Body Works, Bed Bath and Beyond, you know, everybody. So it's it's a good thing to know that there's some sameness within your concept. The important thing is to realize that you still have something special to bring to the table. That's, yeah, perfect. And uh, I'm going to put that link in the show notes, the uh, score, you said, score.org? Yes, score.org. Okay. I think that's a great place. And finding a mentor, like you said, that's Mm -hmm. powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody to look up to, especially somebody 
it's it's tough to say, but like not is not white and male, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. fifty five years old, seventy years old or whatever as a mm-hmm. CEO. Mm-hmm. You see that too often. Um mm-hmm. you wanna mm-hmm. see different faces, varieties. Getting back to the tools that you've created, you you've come up with an idea. It's the vision board. Yes. Explain a little bit about that and what you've seen. What benefits do you see from a vision board for people? Absolutely. So it started out as creative visualization, I would say around eight years old with my mother in psychology. You know, she's uh, about eight, nine years old. Um, who had us working on these creative visualization boards. Who do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? What does that look like? And so as I was as the years went on and even in my time in, in prison, I realized that, you know, now it's under the secret and it's called the vision board. And I'm like, Oh, I've been doing this since I was a kid, you know, but um, I wanted to, you know, people wanted access. I was, I was actually doing vision board parties when I got home and I was doing them even inside of prison. Um, And when I came home, I was doing vision board parties with a small group of people. And, you know, they were like, wow, this is cool. You know, but there was a certain way that I did it according to how, my mother taught me from psychology. And so uh, people just wanted to know, like, well, I wish I could take this home. And I said, well, let me create a kit so that you can actually take the vision board process, the templates, what we go through, the questions, um, all of the things you need in order to put it together. And, you know, enough people were asking for a way to bring this home to their kids, to their families, to their spouses, to their jobs, you know, they wanted to do with their sales teams. And so I said, let me create something that they can purchase and, um, and do this. And believe it or not, I went out, you know, connected with some wholesalers and and reached out and uh, created my templates and kind of branded everything up and um, was a part of this show. You know, um, one of my media friends was like, Lucinda, I think you should pitch your vision board kits on this BET show called Queen Boss. And I'm like, no, I'm behind the scenes. I'm, I'm doing small business coaching, helping with marketing plans. The vision board thing is just something I do on the side with my clients. She's like, no, I really think you should pitch it. I said, scissors, glue, glitter, like really a couple of templates. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And so when I went on the show, we did great. Um, I won the first couple of episodes, but the greatest thing out of Queen Boss, which was uh, on BET and and, uh, taped in New York, is that I was able to get a deal with Walmart. And that deal with Walmart expanded my reach. So here I went from having $7 vision board workshops behind the scenes to now being called upon for 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, you know, to come to colleges, to come to companies, to come to retreats, to do the workshop and bring the vision board kits with me um, Mm -hmm. so people can have them. And so the exposure on that network opened up Walmart, which opened up, you know, me saying, hey, well, let me also sell these, these things on Amazon so I can get some money and then let me sell them on Shopify. So I just started expanding the financial streams, right? Um, and it just kind of took a life of its own. And before I knew it, I get a call from Nike and they're like, listen, we were looking for someone who was doing vision boards. And when we Googled, we found something that said the vision board queen and you were featured on TV. <laughs> and do you think you can come out to Compton to talk to some inner city youth and minorities? We have a, you know, some we're, we're reaching out to minority communities and networks, disadvantaged network communities. And we would love for you to come in and do some empowerment and the vision board workshops. And I'm like, okay, sure. Who's calling? Well, this is the marketing director at Nike. I said, what? 
<laughs> so I said, okay, hold on one second. I put the phone on mute. I was screaming, running. Got back on the phone. I was like, sure, sure, not a problem. And really, it was, I was just so excited. I would have done it for free. So I said, you know, hey, do you, oh, and she said, well, we have a budget as well. And I was like, okay, listen, I would have took a hundred dollars. <laughs> started rolling off the zeros, not to be so, you know, it's, I was like, what? She was like, yeah, we have, please let me know if it's, I, we don't mean to be offensive if this particular budget. And I was like, wait, did she just, and I'm looking at my fingers and I'm like, did she just give me like a four or five figure? <laughs> did I, I'm counting, I'm scratching my head. I'm like, wow. And so, um, yeah, so the vision board process, which isn't anything new, but I added my secret sauce to it and called it the Activate Your Vision Board. Um, kit. And then I created a little book called how to take your vision board, how to take your vision off the board and into your life. Because people were saying, Hey, I did vision boards before they just like collages in my house. And I said, well, maybe you need like a 90 day process and let me show you how to do it. And I put it in a book and, um, you know, here we are, you know, it, it, it was an amazing journey. And so my vision, you know, literally took a turn on its own. Yeah, I mean that was that Nike call on your vision board. <laughs> <laughs> Nike, Nike wasn't was no Nike wasn't on the vision board, but media wise and yes. other brands were. But I did. I mean, I, I didn't even reach that far to even think that I wanted a partnership with a major company, and I did put that down. But I didn't realize that it would be Nike. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, and and yeah, it just shows that you know, what you said, your idea and something that you, you were just listening to a friend. Is that correct? Saying, Hey, this would be really great to have come, you know, so I can bring that to the house so I can start using that. And you, you just took that and ran with it. Yep. 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 I think that's powerful. What do you, uh, if you don't mind, can we get into activate or is that something in the secret sauce? I don't want to give it away. No, no, no. We can definitely. So activate is the company. Activate worldwide is the company. We created Mm -hmm. a concept behind it, but yeah. So what, what do you mean by activate your vision? How does somebody go about doing that? Would that be after you've completed your vision board? So, yeah, it's more about procrast getting away from procrastination and Mm -hmm. the message and the people that we serve with Activate Worldwide are those that are the best kept secrets. They're amazing at what they do and they they don't exercise that awesomeness that they have. And so we want them to activate it by removing any fears, doubts, and uncertainties and kind of just putting it out there, you know, kind of just doing it ugly, you know, getting away from perfectionism, getting away from procrastination and just activating and seeing what happens and watching the magic unfold. And I think, um, and I know, you know, based on my experience and observation with many of the clients that come to work with us is that, you know, people want to do more with what they have, you know, their skill sets, their abilities, their talents. Um, and they want to see their, take their ideas to another level, uh, another playing field. And they just need help with three things, credibility, visibility, and of course, profits. And so the first thing for us is, all right, let's remove any of the fears and doubts and uncertainties that you have about your business, your brand, your ideas your platform, who you are, and let's push um, how you're serving, um, which is even more important. And so it's it's really taking procrastinators um, to an, to the point of no return. 
We like mm-hmm. really push them over the cliff and say it's time to fly. That's awesome. That's perfect too, because that's the that's the barrier, right? That we were talking about earlier. A lot of people mm-hmm. will say, well, "I'll start it tomorrow," or eventually one day I think I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're you're just saying, "Hey, why why are you waiting? Activate that right now. Let's mm-hmm. let's get started." Yeah. What are we waiting for? Everybody, mm-hmm. waits. You, you know, you there's no better time, and we hear it often, you know, but. There'll never be the perfect time. It's never going to be the right time. Well, right now is not the right time. Well, what do you mean by that? You woke up, you're breathing, you can, you have access, you know? And so you, you'll see that some of the most amazing things that are created, produced and brought to the table happen at the most inconvenient moments in the inconvenient time with the least finances, the least team, you know? And so that's what makes it beautiful. It's, it's never going to be the right time. Perfect. Thank you, Lucinda, for that. We've, we set up a goal or guideline of how to kind of get started, how to activate your visions. And lastly, uh, once somebody is in that entrepreneurship role, what makes, what makes them a great, uh, business leader as far as employees or, this is uh, looking a little bit further, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do you think makes a a good uh, or great business leader like yourself? The helping to build others up, you know, um, giving people a hand up, and and sharing, you know, some tips and secrets and resources, and saying, hey, you know, let me mentor you. Let me, uh, if, if, if they're open to it, you know, being that mentor makes a good leader, being that, that stepping stone that someone can use, you know, some people just need, just can you give them just a little crack in the window? You may not have to open the whole door cause they have to work for that, but give them a crack in the window, let them get some clarity and, and be placed to work. But a good leader to me is someone who not only gives back, but shows others how to show up and give back. Yeah. And I think that's important too, because once you're in that position, you want to pay it forward, like you're saying, and mm-hmm. and make a difference in others. You don't want to fall victim to the same issues that we're having today, because you're trying to fit in a role, for example, issues with uh, wage disparity or discrimination in the corporate world. I mean, if you ever get that seat in the, in the, at the table, you want to make a difference in those issues. Mm-hmm. That's important as well. Um, Lucinda, any final thoughts, any ideas or events that you have coming up, something that you're excited about? Um, no, you know, I just would like, I do, I would like to mention, I have a book called The Big Ask, A-S-K, it's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And it really would help with positioning yourself, whether it's for greater finances, greater clarity in life. It's not a book for entrepreneurs. It's not a book just for women. It's a book that talks about how do you get what you deserve and desire? How do you start to show up and ask for yourself, you know? And that's that's what I would highly recommend everyone to grab a copy of the book and let me know how it has supported you in your journey and your thought process. Yep. And I'm going to include the link as well to your book in the show notes. So anybody who wants to check that out, just look in the show notes. I, I think it's amazing what you're doing. And when I looked at your bio, Lucinda, I mean, I don't know how you have the time in your day to keep <laughs> up with everything you're doing. Um, but it's amazing. And we need more people like you out there to making a difference. We really do. That's why I wanted to get you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I would love to introduce you to some more awesome people who are doing great <laughs> things. Yeah. 
Awesome. Yes, I will. I'm inviting everybody here for inspiration. So thank you so much. And again, I will have every all the resources down in the show. Uh, Lucinda, take care. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. A quick correction. The school I mentioned is actually named Avenues in New York, and the HBO special is called The Class Divide. It's a great documentary that highlights the wealth disparity seen in America today. I highly recommend watching it, and I'll include a link in the show notes below. I also wanted to mention a few quick points. Lucinda and I landed on representation as a key step in the right direction. That comes with just representation, right? People uh, in in, uh, higher positions uh, making decisions that can affect larger consequences. Yes, that's exactly it right there because representation, Mm -hmm. yep. How do we increase representation? We need a seat at the table. This is done by voting at the state, local, and national levels. It's also done by becoming an entrepreneur and making hiring decisions or investment decisions uh, within a certain community. It's also done by demanding we see more women and minority groups in positions of power within corporate America. These are some ways to start getting the right people in positions to make a difference at a higher level. On a smaller scale, you can also volunteer your time to teach or help at-risk youth or anyone in your community. I'm also going to include a link in the show notes to a TED Talk Lucinda gave, which is much more powerful than I can convey on this show, But I really encourage, and I really encourage you to take a look. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends and family. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for listening, and until next time.